0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv. Glad that everyone's joining us today, those of you that are in the audience. I want to make sure I have all my settings up and running. I think I do, and I think I'm recording. But let's see here. Let's get this, organi- this organization going here. Glad to have everyone with us. Um, let me bring on the panelists first. of all. Scott down in the ex- uh, Gettysburg. Scott, how are you doing? You hear us okay? I'm doing well, Drew.
1: As usual, it's kind of a rainy day down here.
0: Yeah, up here, well, we're getting a little bit of sun up here. Uh, Steven, over in Harrisburg, how are you doing, Stephen?
2: Doing well, Drew. How are you?
0: Doing very good. Thank you very much. Jeff in Exton, Pennsylvania. Jeff, good to see you. Good to see you. It's not rainy here. It's cloudy. Yeah, we're just cloudy. A little bit of sun coming out before up. I'm Drew, your host in Honesdale, Pennsylvania. Glad you're joining us. And also Jonathan. Jonathan is our web Cast engineer. Jonathan, you're in Gettysburg, right?
2: In Gettysburg, yeah, we're working with Scott. Yep.
0: That's right. There you go. Glad to have you up here too. Excellent. Uh, let's see. Today we're going to be talking about, well, a question came in about the Holy Spirit. Uh, but before we get into that, I uh, want to remind everybody that we want your questions and comments as we're going through the material, the discussion ask us questions about what we're talking about or ask us other questions so that we can add it to our list. If you're on the, coming in from the zoom app, just open up the Q and a box, the little button that says Q and a, have that window open and just type away and we'll address them. Jonathan will get them over to us. And if you're coming in through Steven's Facebook page, remind everybody how they do that, Stephen,
2: And just leave your comments or questions in the comments below and we'll try to get to those as soon as we can.
0: You know, I say that every week, but let's face it, everybody that's on Facebook, they already know how to do those things.
2: I actually was about to say that, that's why I hesitated. I was like, you know, do your Facebook thing. If you do Facebook, you know how live videos work, and so just leave your comments down below.
3: No, I do Facebook, but I don't understand how to do Facebook. (laughs) Bad things happen sometimes when I try to do things on Facebook.
2: Yeah, there's been a whole new set of etiquette and rules and everything developed develop about social media, so it can be hard to navigate sometimes.
0: Yeah, and uh, I'll talk about that on another day, but I have the same thing with, like you do, Jeff. Uh, but anyway, so today's topic, we're going to be talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. question came in, does the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2.38 refer to salvation, the indwelling of the Spirit in believers, or something else? And Jake sends that question in. Where do we go with this one,
2: guys? We're start in Acts chapter 238. Let's start. i read that text for us, please. Acts chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 37. This is the end of Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. Acts two I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So that is the text, and the question is specifically, does the gift of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2.38 refer to salvation, the indwelling of the Spirit in believers, or something else?
3: So it's kind of a grammatical question in a way. You know, If I say he gave her a gift of flowers, or if I say uh, he gave her a gift of Walmart, um, normally maybe we would say from Walmart, but you get the idea. He gave her a gift of Walmart. Well, he could have given it a Walmart, I guess, or he could have <laughs> given it something that he got from Walmart. You got a franchise. If you're a gift of flowers, the flowers are what he gave. And grammatically, you have some ambiguity there in Acts chapter two. Uh, the ambiguity is: is the Holy Spirit grammatically is that what Peter intends to say was is given, or does he mean that the Holy Spirit will give you something? And I think in the context, he started out. If you go back earlier. Uh, where the apostles were standing before these crowds and of course they're speaking in other languages and people, some are speculating these guys are drunk and Peter says we're not drunk and he says in verse 16, this is that which has been spoken through the prophet Joel. It should be in the last days, says God, I will pour forth of my spirit upon all flesh and then he continues the quotation. But then he, he begins to preach about Jesus and he makes the case that Jesus is the Christ, is the Messiah whom they've been anticipating. And and this is whom they crucified. You've crucified him who's both Lord and Christ. They were cut to heart, said, What do we do? And Peter says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ under the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now he's mentioned the pouring out of God's Spirit back in earlier in Acts two, quoting from Joel. But he goes on, he says, For to you is the promise. And it seems easy to me to understand the promise being the promise that was quoted from Joel. He says, for to you is the promise, and to your children, and to all that are far off, as many as shall call on the name of the Lord. And that line also goes back to Joel chapter 2. It's quoted in Acts 2.28. It shall be that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the fact that he... Uh, takes this idea of, re, of receiving the promise, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, because the promise is to you as many as, uh, well, how does he say? For to you is the promise unto your children and to all that are far off, even as new as the Lord our God shall call unto him. Um, it just, it looks like he's referring back to what he had set up in quoting Joel chapter two.
0: Are you saying, Jack, that the promise then is that gift of the Holy Spirit?
3: Uh, yes, he is back in Joel two. What was promised was that God would pour out His Spirit upon all flesh, and ultimately, all flesh is going to mean Gentiles as well as Jews, to which Peter alludes in chapter two when he says to you and to your children and all that are far off.
0: Uh, this is a little off, but that that puts it in an interesting concept, a perspective with what Moses had said. When um, I can't remember the exact place it happened, you guys would remember, but there were some elders that were given some of the gift that, uh, that the power that Moses had, which was the spirit. And wasn't it Joshua that was a little jealous on Moses' behalf? And then Moses says, well, I wish everybody could receive the spirit more than just these. And so isn't that then relating, has some connection to, well, now everyone does get the spirit. In the New Testament,
2: yeah, I think that's a really interesting passage. I cannot also remember it off the top of my head uh, where it is. I'm looking for it in the Book of Numbers here, um, but yeah, that's really interesting. That Moses uh, seems to long for a day when all God's people receive the Spirit, and yeah, that's- uh, yeah, and that there there is, I think, a perhaps a shadow of Acts two in that.
3: you're trying to I have say a
1: something. Quick question. First technical question. What was that? I have a question. I have a technical question. I am afraid that my audio messing up here has me at a different time than you all because I'm hearing your voices over my computer it keeps coming with a delay. And so I'm not sure if I'm on the same time as you are. So like I'm gonna say one, somebody say two, I'm gonna say three i will gonna see it at the same time, so I'll say one, one, two, two three,
0: four, three, four, five, all six. Right. Yeah, you your video <laughs> yeah, is off. your video is a little delayed, Scott.
1: By the way, that passage. Yeah, okay. Is numbers so 11. I will probably have limited amount. Today
3: today. Okay, so numbers eleven was the passage that Drew was referring to, and we'll will let's get that reference here. Um,
2: and so, call. Numbers 11, starting in verse 26, you've got Eldad and Medad. Uh, mm-hmm. The Spirit rests on them. They're among those registered as they are prophesying in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, verse 28, the assistant of Moses says, My Lord Moses, stop them! And Moses said, and this is verse 29, But Moses said to them, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his Spirit on them and Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Um, so, of course, lots of cool things about this, about Moses' humility, his willingness to see not just himself exalted, but other people uh, given responsibility. But it is interesting that he looks forward to a time when God will put his spirit on everyone.
3: Maybe Scott can maybe Scott can uh, log out and log back in, and maybe we can get him here with us in a minute. But uh, a couple of things we might want to do in connection with this. One I'd like to take a minute to do, is to tie in this promise of the Spirit with the Old Testament prophecies. We know that Peter is quoting from Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and following. Joel is very similar to, to Ezekiel's prophecy in several ways, but there is the idea of um, uh, future restoration of God's people in both Ezekiel and Joel. Um, that is described as including God's pouring out his spirit. Um, And in both Ezekiel and Joel, it then goes on to talk about some enemies of God's people after the pouring out of God's spirit, after the beginning of the inauguration of the Messianic age. Um, They're the enemies of God's people who are brought by God, who come for conflict. They come to oppose God's people and God enters into judgment with them. And there's a lot of similar language that is used. But I want to look at Ezekiel's discussion of this, because in Ezekiel, there's a little bit more thorough discussion of, of God's pouring out of spirit. Just foreseeing the, the almost exact phrase that we see in Joel chapter two. It's in Ezekiel chapter 39 in verse 29. And at this point, the prophet is looking way ahead to a point where he can look at pouring out of God's spirit retrospectively. And he says in verse 29 of Ezekiel 39, I will not hide my face from them any longer, for I shall have poured out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. Well, that's reflecting what is said in in chapters 36 and 37. And in chapter 36, you have this statement in verse 26 and following, Moreover, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you, I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. In other words, a malleable heart instead of a stubborn, resistant heart. Verse 27, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And then in chapter 37, we have a vision of the valley of dry bones. There is uh, a picture of spiritual restoration in that vision. First of all, it's kind of a two-step restoration. The bones that Ezekiel sees, he prophesies once and flesh and muscles come upon them so that they're put together, but they're not animated. They're not living. He prophesies again and the breath or spirit comes upon them. What does that mean? Well, there's an outward and an inward restoration. The outward restoration is described in the next few verses, or, or inter- it's interpreted in the next few verses. The people of Israel were like dead people. They're, they've been taken off their land. Their king has been taken away. Their temple's been destroyed. Their city of Jerusalem's been destroyed. They're like dead people, and yet they're going to live again. First of all, the outward restoration. God will bring them back into their land. And then the inward restoration, verse 14. I will put my spirit within you, and you will come to life. And then, of course, you have the picture of the Davidic kingdom being described in the following verses. And finally, there is this in verse 27 and 28 of chapter 37. My dwelling place also will be with them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. And, of course, here he's talking about a time when now the Gentiles have been included under the Christ, who is represented by uh, the praise of my servant David. So, What you notice is in the Old Testament, there was this idea of God dwelling with man, uh, God's people being his house. And here in Ezekiel 36 and 37, that's connected with the idea of I will put my spirit within you. And then he says, I will have poured out my spirit upon you, as we saw in chapter 39. The very same language that Joel uses, Ezekiel is describing the very same thing that Joel is describing. And that's what Peter quotes. And that, I believe, is what is alluded to in Acts chapter 2 and verse uh, 38 when it says, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he's saying you're receiving exactly what was prophesied. There are a lot of different understandings as to exactly how that works or what that means. I would say this, it entails more than just happened on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost is the beginning of God's Spirit in his people. It's the beginning of God's dwelling spiritually within the church, the body of Christ. I think it includes all the different workings of the Spirit that we read about in the New Testament, all the different manifestations, whether that be to look through those things which were given through the laying on of the apostles' hands or what we might call the baptism of the Holy Spirit or what we might call the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But it, it basically boils down to God's God dwelling with his people and the people of God being led by the Spirit of God. So
0: you just yeah. you just mentioned three different manifestations of the spirit dwelling in his people. I think that's where some of this confusion comes in. Then, right? Um, maybe, sure.
3: But I guess my point is that I don't think in Joel chapter two and and Ezekiel chapter thirty six and thirty seven that it was an anticipation of a particular manifestation of the spirit so much as it was an it was an anticipation. Of God's people being infused with the Spirit of God, God dwelling with his people. Um, and, and as it says in Ezekiel chapter 36 and verse 27, causing them to walk in his statutes and that they would be careful to observe his ordinances.
0: When it happened in the first century on the day of Pentecost, and after that, not
2: everybody, that that?
0: not everybody received that same, a same version of that manifestation, right?
2: That's right. And 1 Corinthians 12 outlines that, particularly the end of the chapter, where he talks about different miraculous manifestations of the Spirit. But point's out at the end of the chapter, not everyone's going to be a miracle worker. Not everyone's going to be a healer. Not everyone's going to do this. And so the promise in Acts chapter 2 talks about the Spirit in general. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I don't think that just refers to miraculous gifts. Uh, We're going to see a variety of gifts in, even in the new Testament. Uh, But I do believe that the gift of the Holy spirit is the spirit himself as was promised, which is Jeff has done a great job of outlining. Welcome back, Scott.
1: Yeah. I've switched computers. I've gone over to a Mac, but it was full of a bunch of tabs open. I didn't realize. Am I on the same time as you guys? I think I still may not.
2: Pretty close. Your audio is a little crackly, but we can hear you. Okay. 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 Uh, in comment what you just pointed about, uh,
1: whether or not this meant directly miraculous civility, let's just read the text a little farther. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, unto the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For to you is the promise to your children, to all that are far off. Then in verse 41, they that then received his word were baptized. And I believe we received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And yet, who's doing
2: the miracles in verse
1: 43?
0: The apostles.
2: And many wonders and signs are being done through the apostles. Right. So
1: it doesn't say 3,012 people were doing the miracles. It was still the apostles that were doing the miracles.
3: Although I would say that included in, in this pouring out of God's Spirit um, as anticipated in Joel and Ezekiel, is uh, the, uh, the the ability to do miracles that many had. Not everybody had that, but that's a part of all of this. Has to do with God guiding His people, uh, being led by the Spirit, and and the the things that were given by the laying on the apostles' hands, whether it be. Um, the ability to know God's will and speak God's will, the gift of prophecy, or whether it be the ability to confirm God's will by meaning of, by, by virtue of doing miracles, it's part of that picture that's anticipated in Ezekiel 36, 37, and, and Joel 2. And in the first century, it was prevalent. Christians generally had these gifts. Not, I'm not saying at all, I'm not disagreeing with you, I'm not saying at all that everybody who, receives the gift of the Holy Spirit, has the ability to speak in tongues and do miracles. Uh, but that was a part of all of this.
1: Yes, and, and if we notice the different way that it came, for instance, this re- receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit in verse 38 is promised to people that repent and are baptized. And it's to them, to their children, and as many as are far off. Whereas miraculous abilities passed on like in Acts eight seventeen those people had repented and had been baptized, but how did they receive the miraculous level of the spirit that they received go when ahead, Simon saw that through the laying on and there's two other instances in Scripture where we read about that those type of miraculous gifts being passed on with the apostles' hands. Where else can we read about uh, apostolic hand uh, laying being used to impart miraculous gifts
2: first and second timothy
1: and acts 19 yeah yeah so paul said he, he baptizes him first and then christ then he lays hands on them and they speak in tongues and prophesy and and timothy had a gift that had come to him through the on of, of Paul's see
0: but
3: but keep in mind you know in that quotation from joel as Peter quotes it in Acts 2.17, it shall be in the last day, saith God, I'll pour forth of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. This, again, it's not saying that everybody who receives the Holy Spirit prophesies, but it is, it is to say that what is poured out, what begins here on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, is, is the beginning of the infusion of God's Spirit in his people, and it certainly in the first century um, often included these abilities. Um, apostles went about from city to city. We mentioned Acts 19. Paul comes to where he thinks he's found some disciples in Ephesus, and so he's ready to lay hands on them. This is what the apostles did. They came where they're Christians,
1: gave them these gifts. Um, yeah, we've got a question. Go ahead,
2: Stephen. I was just going to kind of say in summary, I think one of the main points we're trying to make in all this, coming back to Jake's question, is the gift of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, It is the Spirit poured out on all flesh, as was prophesied in Joel and Ezekiel and other places as well. And what we were trying to point out is that, yes, it's the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's not just salvation. Certainly it includes the salvation, the forgiveness of our sins. Um, but it says you'll receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, and there—that that is a multifaceted gift that we see uh, throughout the rest of the New Testament.
1: One observation on that, and then let's get to the question, unless y'all are already covered it while I was out. There's a question that's come in here, is what you're discussing now in any way related to what Paul describes in 1 Corinthians two, ten 10 through 12? Have y'all gotten to that question yet? I've not. No. All right, let's go ahead and, and take a look at that. So is what you're discussing now in any way related to what Paul describes in First Corinthians 10, I mean, chapter 2, verse 10 through 12? Actually, there's another person in this chapter we might talk about uh, as well in a minute, but let's start with the question. And the question, the, the verse says this, Unto us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things yea, the deep things of God. For whom among men knows the things of man save the spirit of man, which is in him, even so the things of God none knoweth save the Spirit of God. But we received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is from God, that we might know the things that were freely given to us of God. So first let's back up to a little bit bigger context here. First uh, Corinthians chapter one verse ten What's Paul urging them to do?
2: Not to be divided,
1: because it's been made known to him by the household of Chloe that what is going on at
2: Corinth. I'm of Paul. I'm of Paulus. They formed these little, they're kind of groupies yeah. uh, for each of these uh, particular teachers.
1: And then Paul starts talking about what he had come. He doesn't want the emphasis upon himself. He said, "Were you baptized in the name of Paul?" And Paul. Is trying to get them to correctly put the emphasis back where it should be on Christ not on Paul or Apollos or Cephas and as he puts the emphasis on Christ he reminds him that that's who he came and preached uh, and he verse 17 he came to preach the gospel uh, verse 18 the word of the cross is to those that perish foolishness um, and then verse 23 we preach Christ crucified Then chapter 2, verse 1, he's reminding the Corinthians of what he did in presenting the message. So somebody read for us, please, uh, verse 1 through 5 of 1 Corinthians
3: 2. I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ, and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God.
1: Now I'm going to ask a question. First, I want to make the disclaimer. We're not saying that the Corinthians hadn't received the Holy spirit. We're not saying that none of the Corinthians were prophets or had gifts of the spirit, like speaking in tongues and such, but in chapter one, Chapter two, one through five, is Paul talking about himself and all the Corinthians uh, together, what they are doing, or is he talking about what he received that he delivered to the Corinthians? Could you repeat that question? Yeah, I don't think I got that. Okay, sorry. Right. In chapter two, one through five, who's the one that has revelation that was delivering it to the Corinthians. Paul
0: Paul was.
3: Yeah, Yeah,
1: this is about Paul. Aside from the fact that then later they were given spiritual gifts, he's talking about how he delivered the message, and the message he delivered was through the Holy Spirit. Uh, And sometimes people will take language referring to the apostles' reception of the Holy Spirit and their ability to be inspired, and people take that language and apply it to themselves. Um, like over in John, when Jesus says to the apostles, I'll send the Spirit, he will remind you of everything I said and guide you in all truth. A lot of people read that and they say, Oh, Jesus is, sends me the Holy Spirit and it's up here guiding me in all truth. Not that I'm reading the words of the apostles and prophets, but this is me. He's, he's putting it in here. You gotta remember there he's talking to the apostles. And here, uh, in two one, this is Paul presented this revelation over in Ephesians 3. He said, The revelation was made known to me through the Holy Spirit. I wrote it down in words so that you can what? Read it. Can I understand Read it? That you could understand his yes. So then in verse 6. We speak wisdom, however, among those that are full grown, but not a wisdom of this world. We, he and in inspired speakers, speak God's wisdom in a mystery. Um, and they are things that people had not known. Verse 9, things which the eye saw not and the ear heard not. Verse 10, unto us God revealed them through the Spirit. So I think this ties in at least to the first with pointing back to the revelation given through Paul and other inspired speakers that they're speaking this message from God. Um,
3: so, so if I could just, just stick to one comment here in verse four of 1 Corinthians chapter two, I think sometimes we read over that without touching exactly what he's saying there. My speech and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. Um so when he came preaching to the Corinthians, what credibility did he have? Was it credibility based on the fact that his words were so persuasive? He was a great orator and it sounded like wisdom that it come from men. No, it was his credibility came from the fact that he had powers. He could demonstrate by means yes. of the spirit that he's a spokesman from God. And this is one of the things people don't get about just signs generally in the New Testament. This is one aspect of the working of the Spirit in the first century, right? To, to validate that people who claimed to be from God, who claimed to be speaking from God, were speaking from God, if in fact they were.
2: And the miracles weren't just for fun, like, oh, hey, look, I can do miracles. It was to <laughs> confirm the message,
3: right? And the message
1: exactly. Mm-hmm. And so Paul will later say to the Corinthians, did I not do the signs of an apostle among you? And of course, one of the reasons he's making this point is because some of the Corinthians are busy listening to some philosophical types, and they were kind of critical of the way Paul spoke. So in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, I know what you say about me, that his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. account. Now, Paul was an effective speaker, obviously, generally, but up to Corinthian Greek philosophical rhetorical standards they didn't think it was that impressive and so here he's saying hey that's not what i was coming with you know i was coming back up with signs of the holy spirit and preaching the message of the cross i wasn't there to tickle your ears with rhetoric and, and fancy speech
2: so how does, uh, that, how does this lead us up to verse 10 to
1: 12
2: what was that Stephen? how does this lead us up to first corinthians two ten through 12 we haven't gotten to that verse yet
1: Yeah, so I think unto us, God revealed them through the Spirit. Um, The revelation was delivered through Paul and other apostles and prophets. As I had said over there in Ephesians 3, let's compare Ephesians 3 to this passage in 1 Corinthians 2. Ephesians 3 said, by revelation, I'm in 3-3 of Ephesians, by revelation was made known to me the mystery as I wrote before in a few words whereby when you read, you can perceive my understanding of the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of man as it has now been, here's our word revealed, revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. So we see the role here of, of the inspired apostle and prophet. Revelation is given to them through the Holy Spirit. They deliver the message. If you're not an apostle, if you're not a prophet, the revelation wasn't made to you. It was made to them. And for others of us, we're dependent on looking at the message that they gave, reading it, and gaining that understanding. So verse 10, unto us, I don't think that means... It's not directly revealed to every Christian it's revealed to the apostles who then delivered that message.
2: Yeah. So verse
1: 13, the, verse 13, the things that we speak not in uh, words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Spirit teaches. That's the same thing Paul was saying back in verse 4, that Paul's revealed message through the Spirit was not in man's wisdom, but through the Holy Spirit divine inspiration there
0: so to bring it back to us today because uh, that person also has the next follow-up question is it is also relating anyway to what Paul describes in Romans 8 11 I don't know if we got that. but before you do I when you read that let me get it here in Ephesians 3 in verse 4, you said, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which is uh, which is not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. I want to hit that again a little harder, because for me today, I don't know of anybody that's got that direct revelation, and I don't need it. Right. Because I can go right to what Paul wrote and read Right, the complete insight that he had on Christ. So what what else could I I get? And here's an important
1: point that Stephen and Jeff made before about the signs. They had signs confirming them. You know, I'm Joe Schmoe, and I come up to you and I say, hey, the Holy Spirit told me that you're supposed to do this and that. Where's the signs to confirm that? Well, you're just supposed to take it at face value. No. In Hebrews 2, it talks about the salvation that had been spoken first through the Lord. I'm in Hebrews 2, verse 3 and 4. And it was confirmed unto us by them that heard God bearing witness with them by signs and wonders, men old powers, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit. So when Paul comes to town and he makes a lame man walk, and then he says, I have a message from God, you have a reason to understand.
0: Yes, his message does from God. Which goes back, to what Steve, goes back to what Stephen was saying, that they weren't doing the miracles for the fun of it. We're not—people exactly. People that claim to do miracles today are claiming to give benefit to the recipient of the miracle, whereas at that time, it was only to produce the proof that God's message is being spoken. Am I right on that? Right.
2: And, and certainly people benefited from being healed. But Jesus didn't heal every blind man and every lame man in Judea. Right. Uh, the, the samples that he did were, number one, to confirm that he was who he said he was. So listen to his message. And number two, it was to show physically what Jesus could do for you spiritually. He can open your eyes spiritually. So let me, I can make this blind man see. Just like he can make the blind man see, he can open our eyes spiritually as well. So let's get to
1: the, to the questions. question. Does it in any way relate to what Paul describes in Romans eight eleven, or did somebody want to say something further on? No, that's
3: what I, want. I wanted to get to that question.
1: Okay, go ahead and do that. So the
3: question is, does it relate in any way to what Paul describes in Romans eight eleven? And in Romans eight eleven, Paul says, "But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He that raised up Christ Jesus from the dead shall give life also to your mortal bodies through His Spirit that dwells in you." And and I think yes, absolutely, it does. In this context, Paul is contrasting the mind of the Spirit and the mind of the flesh. There are those who have the mind of the Spirit. They are guided by the Spirit. They're directed by the Spirit. There are those who have the mind of the flesh. They do whatever their flesh wants. Um, The one who is in the Spirit, he's guided by the Spirit, the mind of the Spirit. Again, we were in Ezekiel earlier. Think of when God talked about putting a new spirit in you, a heart of flesh, the idea of a heart of flesh is not the organ that pumps blood. It's the mind. It's the inner man. Well, the, the mind that is controlled or directed by the spirit is what Paul has in view in Romans 8. He says, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit in verse 9, if so be the spirit of God dwells in you. And then he goes on and he says, your body is dead because of sin. My outward body is decaying, but alone, right. spiritually I'm alive. But then he says, moreover, or in addition, in spite of the fact that right now my outward body is dead, if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the same one who raised Jesus from the dead can raise you, raise your mortal body. And so he says, he that raised up Christ Jesus from the dead shall give life also to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you. So those who have God's spirit are are going to be those who are going to be raised from the dead. Just a kind of a note to us. We talked earlier today when we were kind of talking about this program in preliminary way about a connection between, say, First Corinthians 6 and where he says, know you not that uh, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit how that relates to all of this. And I was making the point that Paul connects the idea of the Spirit dwelling in us with the resurrection. He does that right here and then again down in verse 23. So
1: in Romans 8, this is not just the apostles. This is every Christian. Every Christian is to be led by the Spirit. Every Christian is to have the Spirit of Christ. It's those that have that that have the hope of resurrection. The hope of resurrection is not limited to the apostles. So let's look at in, in 1 Corinthians 6, when he said, He's telling them to abstain from fornication. Are you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Uh, you know, he's not just talking to those of you that are apostles or prophets. It's every Christian. In Acts 2, because we have another statement that's coming here, it says, so reception of the work and power of the Spirit, yes, but not one entailed within the promise extended in Acts 2. Uh, just kind of summing up some of this together, in Acts 2, that's for every Christian. Acts 2, verse 38, repent, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promises to you
2: and your and, children and all who will call to himself. You're far off. Yeah,
1: so it's not just the apostles. Romans 8, also not just the apostles. Um, because, uh, verse 10, um, if Christ is in you, that's not just the apostles. If Christ is in you, as Jeff described, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit that dwells in you, which I believe is the physical resurrection is what we're going to do in verse 23. Likewise, verse 26, the spirit helps our infirmity. We not know how to praise we all, but the spirit himself makes intercession for us. That's all Christians, not just apostles. Um, I want to talk for a few minutes about this phrase in verse 14, led by the Spirit. But first, let's see if anybody else has other comments you want to no, make. No,
3: we're going to get to led by the Spirit. We better get there
1: quick. We only have six minutes left. Five. Okay, <laughs> so real quickly. Um, led by the Spirit. This is how I hear people using led by the Spirit. You know, well, you know, we're looking for uh, a new house, and, you know, it's, it's really hard. You know, we look at a uh, two story, we look at a uh, an old house, we looked at one on a cul-de-sac, but I just I'm not feeling led yet which one the Holy Spirit wants me to take. Or you talk to somebody, you know, so you know what's gonna major in in college? Uh, haven't felt led yet. Um, you know, so after you finish college, you know, which job are you gonna take? The one in Pittsburgh or the one in Philly? Well, I'm waiting to see which way the spirit leads me. And you guys there are people using those expressions. Oh yeah. oh yeah, 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 yeah. All the time, all the time. All right, led by the Spirit is a scriptural phrase. Felt led by the Spirit is not found in the New Testament. Led by the Spirit was used in Jesus when the Holy Spirit led him to the wilderness. But the only times, the only times led by the Spirit is used in Christians is right here in Romans 8 in a parallel passage in what book?
2: Galatians 5.
1: Yeah, places five. So let's look at it here in Romans eight, uh, verse fourteen. After having said, you know, in verse six, the mind of the flesh is death, but the mind of the spirit is life and peace. It says in verse and verse twelve. This is Romans eight twelve. Brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you look after the flesh, you must die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you shall live for as many as are led by the spirit. These are the sons of God. And then it talks about some other things there. But let's compare that to Galatians five. In Galatians five, this is our passage where it says led by the spirit. It starts with a synonymous phrase. Verse 16, puts the synonymous phrase in verse 16?
2: Walk by the spirit.
1: Yeah. Walk by the spirit. Does it say walk by the spirit and you will not go to LSU, you'll go to Penn State? That's the now, the lust of the state. Flesh. Walk by the spirit, you can buy the Kia, not the Toyota. No, no, it's walk by the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh or contrary. Well, what would the flesh and the spirit be? Well, verse 19. What are the works of the flesh? flesh, picking the wrong major, going to a different university than the Lord had planned for you. It's having the uh, mind of the spirit. Know, the Lord it's having
3: the mind of the spirit. Having the mind of the spirit I means spiritually minded, which really means being minded, having the way of thinking that God was have us to think about things rather than focusing on the flesh. I think of, of Jesus saying to Peter, uh Get me, get thee behind me, Satan, for you minding the things of the world.
1: Yeah. Right, right. So in verse 19, this is the opposite of being led by the Spirit. This is, because in both of the passage, it's are you led by the Spirit or led by the flesh? Let's look at what it means to be led by the flesh, and then we'll see what it means to be led by the Spirit. Being led by the flesh means you're doing what kind of things, verse 19 and 20.
0: A lot of list things like sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, a whole bunch of these things.
1: Yeah, so God probably doesn't care if you go to University A or University B, but he certainly cares about whether or not you're committing fornication and getting drunk at University A or University B. God probably doesn't care if you're going to be a shoe salesman or an engineer but he cares about whether or not you're being hateful and spiteful and lascivious and idolatrous and party parties and drunkenness and committing fornication. Don't go, don't be led by the flesh instead be led by the spirit. Look at it in verse 22. The fruit of the spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. And then it says in, uh, And and that, back in verse 18, see what it's called? If you are led by the Spirit. The person that is using self-control and being kind and being faithful is being led by the Spirit. The person that's getting drunk and committing sexual immorality is being led by the flesh. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, by the Spirit let us walk.
0: And that being led is is not compulsory. The spirit's not making us do any of these things.
1: We're to walk with him. This is the direction he he points us. And if we will walk with him in that, we're being led by him. So I really think so many people they're they're wasting a lot of time trying to figure out what God's plans are for them on mundane decisions like, like blue or black or or. You know, whatever, and missing the point that what he really wants him to be doing is to be doing his will instead of sinning.
2: And BJ comments that's a helpful distinction because being led is a choice to receive the direction of the Spirit, not an overwhelming presence that commandeers our facilities, right. our right. faculties.
0: And that's what I meant when it's not, comp- it's not right. compulsive by the Spirit, it's our voluntarily being led by Him. Right. Yeah, Amen. You know. Well, guys, I think we're we're past the time of our program today. Uh, I think we really covered a good portion of that. If anyone in the audience has more questions or follow-up, we want you to go to BibleQuest.tv at any time. Fill out the form. That's where some of our questions have been coming in. Just fill it out, send it in to us, and we'll bring it into the the list of discussions for our next time. Guys, I thank you for everything you put in. Any other final notes? Uh, Scott?
1: If somebody would would like to look at that and some extensions of it further. Uh, go to YouTube, three-minute Bible study led by the Spirit.
0: All right, you were broken up a little bit on that. Jeff, can you repeat that? Uh, so go to
3: YouTube and search for three-minute Bible study led by the Spirit, and you'll find a three-minute video dealing with the concept of being led by the Spirit.
0: Great. Great. All right, gentlemen, thank you very much for your input today, your comments, and thank you in the audience. Please join us again next Tuesday when we will do it again at 2 p.m.
2: Thanks, guys.